0: He was so generous, too. Nothing would do but he must buy her a new motor car, which Poppy hoped one day to be able to drive, but in which he now drove her. With all the talk of war, by necessity it had been a whirlwind romance. But a romance it most certainly was, for Mrs Beaumont was sure that Poppy was quite as happy to marry Basil as he was to marry her. Ah, there you are, my dear. Out again do I see? Poppy peered round the door at her mother, who was now preening herself in front of a silver hand-mirror. The ostrich-feather trimming of her bed-jacket caused Poppy to sneeze suddenly and vehemently as she drew close. Yes, mother, I am just going out to meet Mary Jane Ogilvie for lunch. Aurelia replaced her hand-mirror on the pink satin quilt. I expect her mother is spitting nails, isn't she, my dear? Poppy pushed her spectacles further up her nose, and stared at her beautiful, elegant, southern belle parent with a puzzled expression. "'I'm sorry, Mother?' Mrs Beaumont stared back at her daughter, with barely concealed impatience. "'I mean, about your engagement, Poppy, darling?' she said slowly. "'Since Mary Jane is not engaged to anyone at all, and you are engaged to Lord Tetherington,' One imagines she will be spitting nails. Poppy sighed inwardly. She simply did not understand her mother's competitive nature. She herself had never felt competitive with anyone, and with good reason. Born with what her dear old Irish nurse had always called a stigmata in her left eye, Poppy had unfortunately been forced to wear glasses, or spectacles, as her mother insisted on calling them, from a very early age. Sure. And she'll never marry now, Nanny Beaumont had used to say with some satisfaction to the other nannies when Poppy was walked in the park. Gentlemen are simply not attracted to girls who wear spectacles, as everyone well knows. Even at children's parties, little boys would make it quite obvious that they couldn't wait to leave her side and sit beside some other little girl who did not wear pale pink spectacles, whose wire ends pulled her ears forward, making them stick through her hair. Fortunately she had been educated at home, so her mother and father had been only too happy to leave her to her own devices, as well as to the kindly, if sporadic, attentions of the servants, so that Poppy grew up with her books as friends, and her dogs for company. As long as she had books and dogs, however, she was happy, and would have remained so, living an oddly solitary existence on the upper floors of her parents' town and country houses, if her mother had not suddenly decided... It might be fun for her, if not for Poppy, if Poppy were to do the season as a debutante. For Poppy it was, of course, the very opposite of fun. It was agony. Every single moment of her season was torture, from the fitting of the coats and skirts, the day frocks and the evening gowns, to the trying on of the hats. Hat after hat after hat she had to try, all of them making her look more and more ludicrous on account of her round, plastic framed spectacles. At least they were now a sombre black, rather than the vivid pink of her childhood. But inevitably, of course, as was only to be expected, it was Poppy's beautiful mother, rather than her plain daughter, who attracted all the attention from both people and press. The beautiful Aurelia Beaumont again stunned the Assemble Company in a two-piece by Leblanc, all topped off by a chapeau de chapeau, a hat of such elegance that no one could match it. If mothers of debutantes could win prizes for the season, then Mrs. Beaumont would surely win the Gold Cup. As her mother flourished, so Poppy wilted, as poppies so often do when plucked out of their natural environment. Seated on the side, dance after dance after dance, she became inured to feeling isolated and ridiculous. Sometimes it seemed to her that the wretched season with its endless banal chatter covering up none too successfully her fellow debutante's obsessive pursuit of a diamond engagement ring, would never end. It actually threatened to last forever, just as sitting out dance after dance on some wobbly gilt Gunther's ball chair was also a perpetual hell, until, with Ascot week finally over, and only two or three balls to endure, she realised with ever-increasing relief that the end was actually coming into sight. One particular evening she was sitting in her usual state of abandonment on the sidelines of the ballroom, watching as her mother was whirled past her in the arms of an admiring young man, when a masculine voice interrupted her bored thoughts. I wonder if you would do me the honour of having this dance. Poppy looked up in undisguised surprise at the speaker. I'm sorry, she stammered in confusion, but uh, what did you say? The man looking down at her was extremely handsome, with fair hair, bright blue eyes and a surprisingly serious expression. I said, I wonder if you would do me the honour of having this dance. Poppy stared up at him, still unable to quite believe her ears. You do mean me, she said, putting a hand on the bodice of her dowdy ball-dress to indicate herself. Since all the other chairs either side of you are empty... I really think I must. Poppy stood up. Sorry, she muttered, putting out a hand to introduce herself, only to find it being firmly taken in her unknown admirer's left hand, and herself being led out onto the dance floor. I'm, I'm Poppy Beaumont, she stammered, already being waltzed around the floor. I know, and I'm Basil Tetherington. H- how do you do? Rather bored, as it happens. Up until now. How about you? Yes, yes, I I was a bit, um, a bit, well, yes, bored as well, as it happens, Poppy admitted. After a few more turns of the ballroom, Poppy danced so close to her mother that she could not help noticing the look in her eyes, a mixture of shock and obvious irritation. Poppy smiled at her realising that the first thing that must have crossed her mother's mind was the fact that someone had actually asked her to dance. And not just someone, but someone extremely handsome. As she walked on, she saw the shock was so great that her mother had actually stopped dancing altogether, staring in some amazement at the sight of her plain daughter being danced around the ballroom by one of the catches of the season. As Poppy passed by her yet again, she leaned forward, as if to ask her something, but Poppy was gone before she could begin to say anything. "'Why don't we go on to the balcony?' Basil suggested. "'And perhaps cause a scandal, if we can, that is.' Poppy nodded, only too happy to leave the oppressive atmosphere of the ballroom, where everything was noted and commented upon. "'It was as if she were a pet poodle, and she had suddenly escaped her lead.' She allowed herself to be led by the hand off to one of the many balconies that overlooked the park outside. God, Basil sighed, leaning back against the stone parapet, casually lighting a cigarette. I hope you hate these affairs as much as I do. Good heavens, yes, and, you know, with pretty good reason, too. The reason being? Basil raised his elegant eyebrows and looked at her. Because... Well, I suppose because I'm not exactly a huge success at these things. In fact, I'm a complete flop. Poppy pushed her glasses nervously back up onto the bridge of her nose, as Basil continued to stare at her. What was that? I said I was, you know, not exactly a huge success. Sorry. Why? "'I'm sure no one as honest as you can be accounted to be a flop, Miss Beaumont.' "'I I don't mind being a flop, as it happens. "'It's not as if I set out to be a raging success. "'So you don't have to feel sorry on my account. "'I mean, that wasn't why I said it. "'Said what I did, I mean, if if you see what I mean.' "'I see perfectly what you mean.' "'My mother and my aunt, for instance,' Poppy continued.' now taking off her glasses and holding them up, checking their cleanliness to cover her shyness. Both my aunt and my mother are much more successful with the young men than I am. But I really don't mind. I don't mind sitting it out. Sometimes I actually prefer it. Sometimes it can actually be quite interesting. Sometimes. Although, most times, to be absolutely honest, most other times... I'd much rather be at home in bed, with my dogs and a book. You are not enamoured of the social life, obviously. I think books are usually more interesting than most people I meet, particularly at things like this. Except that was rather rude. I really didn't mean to be rude. You weren't being rude at all, particularly as I happen to agree with you. I far prefer a good book any time to having to endure the appalling boredom of events such as this. But I always come to London for the season.